Good morning, Grace Point. It is um, so good to see you, well, virtually see you. Uh, we're so glad you're with us today um, as we continue our brand new series that we actually began last week called Re, Re, Reimagining, Reframing, and Reclaiming the Language of Faith. Before we jump in today, I want to take just a minute to say, I know there are folks who are going to be watching this at some point who are uh, in the medical field, who are first responders, people who are still going to work at grocery stores, um, during this health crisis. So I just want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for the way you're putting uh, yourself in so many ways at risk in order to uh, care for the well-being of others. We are so grateful for you, and you are one of the places we find God in moments like this um, as you're giving yourself away. Also hope you're taking care of yourself as best as you can. Um, if, you, uh, need, if you need prayer, if you need support, whatever that looks like, feel free to reach out to us here at Grace Point, and we'd love to provide that for you. Um, so last week, we began this series by talking about sort of the nuts and bolts of how we're going to approach these words. We're asking and re redefining and, and reimagining what some of this language of faith can actually look like. And so we're, we've been doing that by looking at... Um, Words. We're going to look at all this vocabulary that has made up the Christian language, the Christian tradition, and we're going to ask some questions about what might it mean today. And one of the reasons we're doing that is because the meaning of words actually can evolve and change over time. Words aren't static. They don't always stay the same. And that's true because human beings change. We're not static. We don't stay the same. Uh, one Greek philosopher said you can't step in the same river twice. And what he's talking about is the continual change. We are always changing and evolving, whether it's losing our skin and bringing on new skin, whether that's our changing our minds and our opinions and our attitudes, whatever that means, like all that stuff is, is part of what it means to be human, that we're in constant flux and change. Then we're also sort of bound by a couple things. We're bound by our own context and we're bound by our worldview. There's stuff that we're not aware of, the, the lenses we don't really see that exist in front of our eyes all the time that shapes how we see, feel, and act uh, in response to things. And so words are, the meaning of words, like today we're going to talk about salvation, the meaning of that has evolved and changed over time, and it's always been because the context has changed and because the people who were wrestling with the words were experiencing change and transformation. And so as we think about salvation today, I want to think about, a, the, there's a term that most of us probably grew up with, and that term that terminology is getting saved. Um, how many of us have been talked to about getting saved? What does it mean to get saved? For lots and lots of people, in the way I was raised, getting saved really just meant something about the afterlife. It meant making some sort of decision, some intellectual assent, some sort of theological commitment, doctrinal commitment to believe certain things. And if I believed those certain things and held them in the right way with the right conviction, then it would turn out really well for me in the afterlife. And the other part was, if I didn't believe the right things and if I didn't hold on to them with conviction, then my afterlife experience would look vastly different. But is that really what salvation is about? Believe now for heaven later. And think about what that does to the other words around it. Think about the sibling words of salvation. We talk about being saved. We talk about the word savior. What does it mean? If, if the whole point is believing stuff now to get to go to heaven later, what does that make the word savior into? What does that make Jesus into? And what does getting saved mean if it's all about the afterlife? Well, it kind of means that it has no real uh, practical transformation in this life. It means that sometimes we can talk about getting saved, and what we're really talking about is something that will not change anything other than our afterlife destination. 
Now, the problem with this is this is not how the word salvation is used in the Bible. Very rarely in the Bible does the word salvation occur in the context of what happens to us when we die. For example, there are roughly 500 uses of the word salvation in the entire scripture. Two-thirds of those show up in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And the reason that's interesting is for the majority of time covered in the Hebrew Bible, uh, the Jewish people did not believe in an afterlife. They believed that when you die, you went to this place called Sheol, which just means the grave. It wasn't an afterlife. It wasn't a personal experience. It was just what happened when you die. So the idea that salvation means something about the afterlife, when two-thirds of the references are found in the Hebrew Scriptures and they're related to this world and this life, um, it, it challenges that view. There's actually one, view, one scripture in the Hebrew scriptures in the book of Daniel, which was written around 165 BCE, that seems to be referencing some sort of afterlife in terms of salvation, but that's the only one. And even in the New Testament, the primary meaning of the word salvation or saved or savior has nothing to do with the afterlife, but has everything to do with this life. And so today, what I want to do is just give us some alternative images. We all know the afterlife images for salvation, right? We all know the believe now, get heaven later images. But what's lost when we just focus on that? What's lost and what's missing are these rich images that have been grounded in our tradition since the beginning. These images that actually can provide some sort of help and meaning in this life. Because I don't know about you, I'm trying to live in this life as long as possible. I don't want to bail out. I don't want to be done. I want to be here. And so what does it mean to experience salvation? What can salvation mean for us beyond just what happens to us when we die. So I'll give you a few images. And the first image is this idea of liberation, salvation as liberation. In the scriptures, one of the foundational stories, if not the foundational story that sets us up for the meaning of salvation is the story of the Exodus. If you grew up around church, you probably know this. If not, I'll, I'll just kind of explain it really briefly. The Hebrew, the Hebrew children had been taken down to Egypt and while they were in Egypt, they grew into a larger and larger uh, group of people, and the Egyptian pharaoh decided that they were dangerous, and so that they would enslave them and make them build and uh, harvest and do all the things that the Egyptians needed. They cried out for help. And in this remarkable moment for the ancient world, God reaches out to this Hebrew who was on the run because he committed murder in Egypt. God speaks to this, this would-be, soon-to-be prophet, Moses, and says, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people in bondage and I'm sending you to liberate them. Now, the reason this is so remarkable in the ancient world is, uh, and you know, this is gonna sound a little weird for us in this day and age, but people believed that whoever was in power was put there by the gods, right? And they believed that to question that power was to sort of question the gods. And so, of course, at the top of sort of the pyramid of society would be the rulers and at the bottom would be the slaves. And what this story says is that God, because everybody thought the gods were on the side of the powerful and the rich and the, the ones who are in charge, what this story says is that's actually not how it works. God isn't on the side of the oppressor. God is on the side of those being oppressed. And not only is God on the side of those being oppressed, God wills their liberation. And to make a long story very short, Moses goes, eventually the, the uh, Israelites are released from captivity and then Pharaoh changes his mind and goes after him. The sea parts and Moses and the children of Israel walk through and Pharaoh's army gets caught in uh, the water. After they're liberated, they 
they come to this beach and they have a party. And I like to imagine that it would have had like a disco ball and maybe a DJ was on retainer. And there's this big moment of celebration and they sing and they celebrate. And here's one of the lines from the songs in Exodus 14. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. Sort of as they're singing, the narrator pops in with this. The Lord saved Israel. What does that mean? Did God give them a better afterlife option? Is that what it means by saved? No. To be saved in this context means to be liberated. It means to be set free from whatever is holding you down and holding you back. All right, so there's a way that this kind of salvation, this understanding works out in the real world, right? There's a corporate and a personal. Corporate and personal. There's something that happens to a group of people, and there's also something that happens to us as people, as individuals. Now, we, we can look at the landscape of our country and realize that in America, since our beginning, we have always had trouble. Um, we've always had groups of people who were oppressed, groups of people who were not given full rights, groups of people who were not given full voice, groups of people who were not considered to be part of society in the way that we think about it. What does it mean to experience salvation? What would it be like, what, what if we talked about the ruling against segregation? What if we talked about the liberation of slaves? What if we talked about full equality for the LGBTQ community? What if we talked about that as salvation? As a corporate experience of sal salvation, being liberated from what held us back. I mean, what if we talked about white supremacists needing to get saved? And what if we meant they need to be set free from the bondage they're in? because they're in the bondage of hate. And what about us personally? I think there's an internal, external dynamic. There are external things we need to be saved from, liberated from. And there are also internal things. What, what if we needed to be saved from certain attitudes? What if we need to be saved from treating people the way we've always treated them? What if we need to be saved from destructive messages about ourselves? The primary meaning in the scriptures of salvation is liberation. It's being set free. There's another image, and it's the image of coming home. Specifically, this is born out of the uh, Jewish people's experience in exile. At one point, they were conquered by the Babylonians, and they were deported to a different land. And eventually, they get to come home. And as they come home, they have this sense of We've been somewhere else. We've been away from our land. We've been away from our temple. We've been away from sort of this earth that we've uh, been uh, sustained by. And now we're coming home. And there's something about coming home for them that was powerful. Actually, half of the uses of the word salvation in the Hebrew Bible uh, occur in the book of Isaiah in a section that is all about returning from exile. And exile, right, has this meaning that you've, you've been somewhere else that's not familiar, and now you're coming back home. One of the stories in the New Testament that I love the most is the story of the prodigal son. It's a story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15. And it's a story about coming home. It's a story about a son who leaves home and sort of burns all the bridges and, and basically says to his father, would you hurry up and die so I can get my inheritance, right? So he leaves and he squanders it all and he's burned every bridge. And there's this moment where he's hungry and he has no money and no resources and no friends because when the money dried up, the friends dried up. And he's in this, this, this rock bottom moment of despair. And he makes this decision, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to, he prepares a speech and he's going to be his father's servant and he's not worthy to be the father's son. And he just has this whole speech prepared. 
and he turns and he makes the journey home. And as he's coming across over the hill and he can see the father's house, the father runs to him and embraces him and calls him son. In, in that story, we have this profound meaning of what salvation is. It's about coming home. Now, I think one of the things we need to realize is that this, this boy in the prodigal son story never stopped being his father's child. He wasn't separated from his father. But there was an estrangement. There was a sense of separation. There was a sense that he had left home and he had left everything, and now he's coming back. What might that mean for us to take salvation seriously in that way? Where do we need to come home from? Where have we wandered off to? And how has that wandering affected us internally and externally? And what might it look like to decide to go home? And for us, even thinking about it as, as people of faith, there's this sense of preparing the speech and trying to find the right words and trying to go through the, the motions and the reality is that coming home, there is no speech, there are no motions. It's really just about coming home. It's about returning. It's about being gone and coming back. Sal salvation in the scriptures, one of the major images is that we've been far away from home and, and now we're coming back. We're coming back to the embrace of God. We're coming back to the embrace of spirit. We're coming back to the embrace of community. And there's something beautiful and profound about that. And, and this image of salvation, this just this image of coming back. Uh, one of the things that's always interesting when I'm picking somebody up at the airport is sitting at the sort of the place where everybody comes out of the gates and watching people who haven't seen each other in a while. Um, they've been on a journey and now they're home. And that embrace and the joy and the excitement that they're back. They've been gone. They've been gone for a while. And now they're back and they're embraced in their home. And I think this, for me, this image of salvation is really powerful. There's one more image I wanna leave you with, and that's the image of wholeness. In the Gospel of Mark, there's a story about a woman who had a, um, an issue that caused her to be unclean. And she hears Jesus is coming through town, and she's heard about his power, and she's heard that he's transforming people. And so she gets into the crowd, and she crawls through, and she reaches up, and she grabs Jesus, the hem of his garment, and she's healed. And that's the story. She's healed. But then Jesus does something really interesting. In a crowd of people where he's almost crushed by the, the amount of people around him, he says, who touched me? The disciples think it's a ridiculous question. They say, everybody touched you. How can you be asking who? And then this woman, she comes clean and she says, this is what I've done. I, I, I needed healing and I believe that if I could just get to the garment, to the hem of your garment, I could be healed. And she does. And then Jesus says the most interesting thing to her. Notice in Mark chapter five, he responded, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. Now here's what's really interesting. If you read this text in Greek, the phrase is not healed you. The actual language is your faith has saved you. Now, what does Jesus mean by saved? Is he saying to her, your faith has given you a premium spot in the afterlife. Your mansion is gonna be bigger than your neighbor's mansion. Is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about getting ready to die and go beyond that? No, he's saying this woman had a deep need and her faith has met that need. She's been saved. She's been made whole. She's been transformed. Wholeness is one of the central, another central image of salvation in the scriptures. 
We might talk about it like this, moving from, and these are always in Scripture metaphorical in some way, moving from blind to seeing. All throughout Scripture, what you'll find is, and especially in the Jesus stories, is that when Jesus heals a blind person, they're actually not the ones who can't see. He does this as a way of critiquing everybody else's ability. You have eyes and you can't see. You have, the, you have vision, but you don't see. What if we saw salvation as a kind of wholeness about helping us to really see, not just see physically, but see like in the depths of our being, to see from the heart level, to see what's really going on, to actually see the other human beings that are around us in the world. Salvation is about seeing. It's about moving from wounded to healing. There's there's something uh, that some writers call the wounds of existence. We are wounded just by existing in the world. We hurt each other. We're hurt by other people. We're hurt by situations where we, we live with wounds. And salvation is about beginning to heal from those wounds. What if we thought about this? Salvation is wholeness, is this journey from violence to peace. I've never seen a person who's violent, whether physically or uh, rhetorically, people who use words for violence. I never see people who are super violent seeming like they're super grounded and seeming super happy and seeming super connected, and see, they don't seem like everything's okay, right? Because we, we actually weren't created to be violent toward one another. We weren't created to be hateful toward one another. And this salvation, in this sense, wholeness would be moving from violence where I, I need to re- react and retaliate to a place of wholeness and peace. That, that the word peace actually in Hebrew, shalom, actually means whole, complete. To be at peace is to be whole. And salvation doesn't move us around that journey. It leads us into that journey. I've often heard uh, in sort of a growing up that what people really need is just to come down front at church and pray and make a decision and it's all better. And that's just not how it works. To, to journey to a place of healing and wholeness, it's, it is a journey. It's a path. It doesn't happen overnight. But what happens as we move toward that journey is we make peace and we begin to name the hurt and we name the wounds. And in doing so, uh, we begin to be able to heal from them. And one of the central images of wholeness is moving from death to life in the scriptures. The central image in the Jesus story is dying and rising up, uh, laying down one thing and picking up another. And wholeness is about coming to this new life. So before we have the band come up and lead us in another song, I just want to ask, how do we need to be saved today? If salvation isn't ultimately about what happens when we die, if it's not about getting a better afterlife opportunity, if salvation really is about this world and it's about how we live in this world and it's about people being set free and liberated, if it's about coming home from wherever we've sort of wandered off to, if salvation is about becoming whole people, which religion hasn't done a good job of, helping people become whole people. If that's what salvation is about, from what do I need to be saved? And maybe we ask like this, from, from what do I need to be set free? Are there attitudes and behaviors and actions? Are there things I'm engaging in that are keeping me held down? Is there a way of seeing the world? Is there a way of interacting with other human beings that keeps me from being a free, fully liberated human being? What might it mean to be saved in that context? What might it mean to let go and be healed from those things? From, what do I, from where do I need to come home? If I've wandered off and if I have this sense of disorientation, if I have this sense that I'm not where I need to be or want to be, 
but I'm not the person I want to be. That I've been on a journey and I sort of veered off track and now I want to come back. From where do we need to come home? Because salvation is about coming home and finding that your place, your seat at the table has never been filled. That it's a seat only you can fill. What, what might it mean to make the journey home and find that God has never left and that she's always been right there waiting to embrace us? And if salvation is about wholeness, maybe we ask the question, from what do I need to be healed? What wounds am I carrying around that are deep and painful? And what might it like, look like? And, and I think some of the ways that happens is through really good therapists and through really good uh, boundaries and all that important stuff that we talk about all the time. What might it look like to be healed? Salvation isn't about what happens to us when we die. Salvation is actually something that happens to us right here and right now. It's when we open ourselves up. It's when we begin to trust that we can be set free from whatever is, uh, is holding us back. It's when we begin to trust that if we come home, there's a home to come back to. It's when we begin to recognize that we have these wounds and we need to do something with them and we'll either transmit them or we'll transform them. And it's about coming into this journey toward healing and wholeness. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that salvation is not something we experience when we die. But it's a journey and an invitation. It's a reality we experience right here and right now while we're alive. And these are not, not small questions. And as a culture and a society, we have lots of work to do around what it means to be liberated, what it means to not be oppressors, but to liberate the oppressed. Give us that courage. May we realize that as a, as a culture and as individuals, getting saved has nothing to do with guilt and nothing to do with shame. It's this invitation to be set free, to be healed, to return. And wherever we are on that journey, may today be, for some of us, a moment where we maybe open our hearts just a little bit to believe that that might be possible. We are grateful that we are loved, that we are the beloved. And so open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds as we consider what it might mean to enter into the journey of salvation right here and right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.